weekday, this day on which they are offering these sacrifices, and uh, let's see what happens. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Israel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come here, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron, and to Eleazar, and to Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die. And wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house, whole, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. The anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. We begin chapter ten with how many priests? Five. Five, Five if you count the high priest who was Aaron. and his sons who are. Nadab, Abihu, Ithamar, and Eliezer, necessarily in that order, but uh, those are the uh, the five priests, and they are priests for how many people? Quite a number. 600,000 men, plus the women and children, whatever, something like that. So they've got a lot of work to do, and uh, we see them doing that work. Nadab and Abihu, they take their uh, fire pans, they put fire and incense uh, on them, and and they're going about their priestly duties. However, they make a mistake. Uh, what did they do? Yeah, they offered fire from another source that God had not uh, commanded. And what was God's response? <clears throat> yes, fire came down from heaven and uh, burned them. They died before the Lord. Now that's really a shocking thing in this context. We've been studying and reading. We've seen them doing what the Lord commanded. We've seen God's glory and His blessing and His approval of their worship. This is the uh, great day, the, the consummation of the pattern that God's revealed to Moses on the mountain. And, and it's a, a time of excitement and joy. And, and suddenly something goes terribly wrong. And the fire that had come down and consumed those sacrifices now came and killed two of the priests. This is a this really is an amazing chapter. You would not expect this to happen in this uh, in this chapter. And there's so many things that we need to see in this, and and we need to learn. The lesson that God gives to Aaron is what. He'll be treated as holy. Amen. God is a holy God. And those who come near Him must treat Him as holy. They must respect Him and honor Him. Holiness, the holiness of God, is, is somewhat dangerous. You've got to handle that properly. 
You must observe the proper rules. The right people must do the right things. And it's not something that we can just play around with. That's the main lesson. Logan? Uh, one thing that I see from this passage is that Adam and Abihu offered strange fire before the Lord and they were consumed. You know, they're thinking of times this time will be fire is fire. Well, to me, that seems a lot the same as a lot of denominational people say today, there's nothing in a name. So, in a way, this could be, since the Old Testament is sort of our schoolmaster, that that's at least one lesson we can learn from it, that there, there, there is something to everything that's included in the Word of God. We need to have that kind of respect for God, the kind of understanding of the Lord's holiness that causes us to be very careful and very serious. Right? I don't look at the denomination so much as I look at ourselves as us alone thinking worship is worship and taking it trivial. And that verse is just so strong, that verse 3, that it talks about those who come, come near me, I must be regarded as holy. That applies to us so much. It, it sort of, at first, may seem uh, very severe of the Lord. It's kind of a, a response of God that maybe doesn't fit what we would like for God to be or what we think he ought to be or is. And we made this analogy yesterday, but I'll, I'll make it again. The God of nature is also a severe God. When, when we um, mistakenly um, defy the law of gravity, that sometimes has some very painful, sometimes fatal consequences. You know, it's just the way that is. That's the way God set that up. And you, you, you try to, to ignore those principles of how God runs the universe, and you may hurt yourself very badly. And, and this same God who, who is very uh, determined about that is, is the God that we serve. And in our service, he has set the laws and the ordinances, and he expects us to love him, and to trust him, and, and to follow what he said. And when we sort of play around with that, we're not very careful about that, he's not going to put up with it. Um, it's really, there's so many powerful things here in this. Uh, I, I know that chapters 8 and 9, the, uh, the point is about the ordination of the priest, Aaron and his sons. But there's a theme that runs through there, and over and over and over again, they're saying they did this just as the Lord commanded. They did this as Moses was commanded by the Lord. And it's stated in, I think, uh, uh, 14, 15 different times that said. And then you get to this chapter, and here's, here, here is a tragic thing that takes place. But the first tragic thing that takes place is that they offer to God strange fire, which he commanded them not. just the opposite of what they should have learned through that whole process. There are quite different consequences that follow, whether you do what, just as the Lord commands you, or you do what he commands you not. If you do something by the Lord's direction, he approves and he blesses. If you do it without the Lord's direction, he is angry and he punishes. Either Can't way, fire is going to come down. God's fire will come down. <laughs> Either it'll accept your sacrifice or it will destroy you based upon whether you do just as he commanded 
or you do what he's not commanded and act on your own. It's a really powerful lesson. But this is Nadab and Abihu. You know, I mean, there's just some things about this that, that still, I think, are sort of amazing. For one thing, there's only five priests. I mean, God, you, you, you would look at this as God needs all these guys. I mean, he can't really afford to, to you know, dismiss any of these. Um, and, you know, he destroys almost half of them here at the very beginning. Um, no man's indispensable. That's just amazing. We would never have done that. We wouldn't have dreamed up this story. I mean, and these are the priests. What has just happened to them? Well, yeah, but before, before that. <laughs> what had just happened to them before this? They've been consecrated. You know, they've been dedicated to God. You've had all the sacrifices for their cleansing and purification. You've got the blood on their ear and thumb and, and a big toe. And, and, you know, we've gone through all these things. Uh, but no amount of oil or blood will change someone's heart. Even though they were consecrated priests, they didn't do as he commanded. Yeah. Well, not only had they just been consecrated and everything, but I assume they're with those in verse 24, but when they saw the fire come out, they shouted and fell on their face as well. I mean, they just seen this power. It wasn't just being, just been dedicated. They, they had just seen this power as well. And yet, their hearts were so hard. <laughs> You may be a priest, but you must conduct God's holy things in a holy way according to the instructions that he has revealed. And you may see a lot of things, and you may go through a lot of, you know, consecration or whatever, but you still got to do what God says. And you do what he hasn't said, and these are the consequences. Shane? I think, I mean, this is the point. I mean, like Ben said, I mean, they had just seen God do this. They had just seen a miracle of him taking the sacrifice and accepting it. And I mean, sometimes they, we think, I think, well, they should have known better. I mean, it's so easy to sit here and read this and say, well, they should have known better and do it in our lives. I mean, we can do it just as easily. Go and listen to a sermon about a certain, something that happens, and you can go out and do it. I mean, it's a lot easier to read than actually put into action. And I mean, Sometimes we, like when I think of the children of Israel during the, the period of the judges, they keep saying over and over and over and over again. We take, I think, why do they keep doing that? But as I sit here and do the exact same thing, I mean, I, that's, that's ironic to me because that that makes no sense. It's going, it's it's hypocritical. Yeah. Well, we're near the end of 2006. Have we done anything we knew better than this year, Josh? Um, one thing. Well, I have two things, but what exactly does it mean by a strange fire? You know? I think that they got the fire from an unauthorized source. Maybe one of the torches or something? Yeah, I don't know where they got the fire, <coughs> but I think not from the altar. And I think it's kind of cool to see that their sin was with fire. And they got consumed by fire. You know, 
Yeah, you you improperly deal with the fire, and uh, you may get burned. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's fine. We'll talk about that when we get there, but I don't think that's out of the question. Um, that might have explained their being less careful to do exactly what God has said. And surely we need to be sober in every sense to offer to God what he uh, has every right to expect. Alan? Uh, this is a more obvious point, but uh, I, the common excuse that we hear from people, or even ourselves, is we say to ourselves, God didn't say we couldn't do that. He never said, no, don't use profane fire, but here they weren't following what God said, and so that does not apply. Good point. As far as we know, he hadn't specifically prohibited getting it from this source. He told them where to get the fire, and they did something without his approval. Colin. I don't think we necessarily know whether, you know, or not they had good intentions, which it appears they might have. But I think this shows that, you know, good intentions still don't justify disobedience. And, you know, we see that throughout the Bible. We see that with us. You know, he had good intentions, but he disobeyed. He was struck down. We see that in Jesus' time when he would heal people. And he would tell them, you know, don't tell anybody. And they would go out and they would tell it. And it would hurt his ministry. And we don't know. You know, they, may, they had good intentions in doing that and spreading the news about him. But we don't know how our disobedience for things that we can't see how they might hurt. Good point. Gary. Yes, um, John. <clears throat> one of maybe a few things. Um, what was this fire for? Burning incense. Like, right? Yeah, but uh, where was it? And, like, what's going on here? I'm <laughs> Well, I think, you know, they were to use fire on the altar to burn the incense. And somebody can help me out with that, but I think they were to have gotten the fire from the altar. <coughs> the altar of burnt offering. I think I'm right on that, but I'm not positive about that. Somebody got a passage. Leviticus 16 12. Okay. Leviticus 16 12. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure where they would have gotten the fire. I mean, I suppose they could have had fire in various places. They would have carried that. Where's that verse? 1612? 1612. Um, so, would, would they have known about that? Is, are they doing something that they didn't know was wrong, but was still wrong? It, I wonder if they are if we shouldn't maybe fault them as much as we do here, that they they were trying to serve the Lord as they saw that they needed to and did the wrong thing, and that still requires God striking them dead. That sin, no matter how good, as Colin was saying, how good we think it may be, it still deserves death here, that maybe they were doing something that they thought was perfectly right and what God wanted, and he still struck them dead for it. Well... I don't think we're probably never going to know for sure what was in their mind. And I don't know that it makes a lot of difference. And they may have been sincere. They may have been unconcerned. I suppose it's possible that they just flat out didn't want to do it the way God said. In any of those cases, when you do what he hasn't commanded, it's not treating them as holy. Now, the fact that he says they got it 
which the Lord had not commanded, I think indicates that he had made the command for where to get the body. Otherwise, the not commanded wouldn't have been appropriate. So I don't think this is something where it had not been revealed. Uh, that would be my story. Well, the character of God, too, tells us that uh, uh, he's not going to punish them uh, for doing right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's not sinful if there's not a law. That's right. <laughs> strange incense on the altar. Don't know if that uh, perhaps that would include fire from unauthorized sources. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> how much time or do you know how much time was between chapter 9 and 10? I think it's the same day. Same day. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. What is an unauthorized source? Well, well a source that's not authorized. <laughs> 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 yeah. I, I I think they were to get the fire from the altar. And yeah, so where else would they have got it? I don't know. I mean, they'd have fires in their homes or, you know, in various places, I suppose. I mean, I mean you know, wherever else they might have had a fire going. I'm thinking, I don't know. Somebody has done a detailed study of this and can help us out with uh, fire sources in the, uh, you know, 15th century B.C.? They Bad lamps. Yeah. Where'd they get the fire? <laughs> and I don't know, that passage in sixteen twelve is applying to the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. Right. So that may not even necessarily apply to this mm-hmm. time. Right. So do we have do we have this commandment in the first place? Of where to get the fire? Is there a record in the Old Testament? Uh, I mean got I mean, I'm gonna have to go back and look at my other notes to no, if I know that or not. I don't remember. Does it have anything to do with the vessels that were being used? I don't know. I assume they had to carry a fire in something, like a fire pen. Or carry it with their hands. Ben, you're going to. Um, just an idea is, you know, this fire is supposed to come from the altar. It's supposed to be kept burning at all times. Or if they were somehow lax in that, dude, that would create a situation where it seemed like logical or reasonable to get fired from somewhere else. And so, you know, maybe what just gets the thought, you know, how could we be profane here, but, you know, they, they just weren't as attentive as Yeah, may have been. Anybody got any definitive statement on the sources of fire here and where they may have gotten it or where they should have gotten it, Kelly? Okay. Well, what would they need this? And what, what would they be? Would it not be involved with the incense? I assume so. So. I wonder if there isn't more to Exodus 39, 30 and 9. Perhaps. Great. Um, you could be like the six stones, like they did like way back then. Like, oh, like to make a fire? Yeah. Well, I mean, they had to make fire somehow. I can't say any other way. But they would sometimes take fire that had already been kindled and take it somewhere. Make a new fire. Sure. The only thing I can think of is I mean, fire where they're 
only their own this is their only source of light. I mean, they had to have some kind of light in the temple, so I mean, they could just go and get some fire. I mean, certainly, surely they had candles or torches or something like that, lamps that they could use. I have a question. Because the ark was taken, perhaps, but yes. Well, perhaps. But then you have, um, you know, Jesus, though, in the New Testament, at times he, you know, he weeps over Jerusalem and over the lost ten. And then, like, you'll have Paul, who sometimes he's just, he rails on people because of what they've done. Other times he says, you know, like, like lost Israel, he, he was an anguish over them as well. And do you think there are any principles about the idea of how to mourn for those who sin? Sure. It is fairly broad. There's a lot of things in this that are worth thinking about. I mean, why would God have told uh, Eliezer, Ithamar, and Aaron not to mourn for their sons and brothers? Uzzah 
And God didn't, when, when he struck Uzzah dead, God didn't tell David not to mourn over Uzzah. And then, but he tells these guys to mourn over, not to mourn over uh, their brothers because they were priests. Is that the reason they could not mourn? That may, I, I think that there's some things that enter into that. I mean, verse 7, you shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting. They have to stay there. But there may be a little bit more to it than that. David was not acting very well at all when Uzzah died. I mean, he wasn't listening to the Lord. He was uh, he was angry with the Lord. I think he had the wrong reaction. Josh? Um, not only would it have been hard for David to mourn possibility. Um, however, look at Ezekiel 24, 16. Uh, some of these things are really rather amazing. I, I'll tell you, I, you know, wow. I, I, in general, I'd agree with you, but Ezekiel 24, 16 would make me think. Son of man, this is to Ezekiel, behold, I'm about to take from you the desire of your eyes with a blow. That's his wife. But you shall not mourn and you shall not weep. And your tears shall not come. Groan silently, make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban, put your shoes on your feet, and do not cover your mustache, and do not eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and the evening my wife died. And in the morning I did as I was commanded. The people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things that you are doing mean for us? And he says that the same thing will happen to you, and you'll not mourn or weep when your whole city is and sanctuary is destroyed. That seemed, and that wasn't. I mean, as I, I think this was just sort of a, almost like a parable. I mean, it wasn't that she'd done something wrong, as far as we know, but God still, as an object lesson, causes her to die. And he wants Ezekiel to perform the part to make the analogy and says, you can't cry. I don't know whether they could cry or not here in Leviticus 10, but I don't think it's out of the question that God could say not to. I, uh, that's maybe hard. I don't know. Say. Going back on what Josh said, uh, I think that I mean, in chapter 9, I would think that pe- people are rejoicing because they're, they're having priests. Priests are being consecrated. They would be rejoicing because the priests have been consecrated. But then it can, can be completely changed its size. I mean, the, it, either this day or the next day or however long the time period it was. If it was that day, do you think that, I mean, that day they died, they just been consecrated. Do you think that would, like Josh said, really bring the morale of people kind of down? I mean, because that day that their priests were consecrated... Like you said, half of them, almost, almost half of them died. Yeah, this would be a tragic event and a rejoicing occasion, Kelly. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, it's been said, but Leviticus 21, 1, where it says, And say to them, no one shall defy himself or a dead person among his people. Wasn't that a lot of what was going on here? 
that they, I mean, particularly at this time, they couldn't, they couldn't dare to file themselves because they were named, appointed here initially. Maybe so. Maybe so, although they could defile themselves for a close relatives. That's 21 too. So. Yes, I mean, sometimes you can have things that appear contradictory that aren't. There is one sense in which Jesus, I think, would even grieve <laughs> over the fact that they were rebelling against God and weren't giving God what he deserved. I don't think he's grieving feeling like God's judgment wasn't right but grieving over the whole circumstance of their rebellion that leads to God's judgment. I mean, we turn around in Revelation 19 and the rejoicing over the demise of Babylon. There's, you know, there's several different <laughs> angles on that. I, I don't know. Somebody may have a better answer on Dan's question than I do. Uh, Bruce? So, so, that's the thing, what Ben was asking about, examples of mourning. Uh, very early on, that was Cain and Abel, when God chose to have regard Perhaps God would be making a, an example at the beginning of a particular situation, Nadab and Abihu, Achan, the beginning of entering the line of Canaan, Ananias and Sapphira, and the beginning of the preaching of the gospel. Uh, there might be something to do about it. I don't know. I'm not sure what else it is. The beginning of service in Jerusalem. I don't know. Logan? Uh, one, one reason that I believe that this is just my opinion may not necessarily correct, but I believe it is one of the reasons that uh, God might have punished them so quickly is that they were two priests who were supposed to be uh, considered high because they were doing the work of God and then they were sinning on the very first day that they had the job. So if that got around to the people, it could influence them negatively. 
Could be. Joab rebuked, this wasn't God rebuking David, but Joab rebuked David for grieving over Absalom's death, and uh, his concern was what this was doing to the soldiers. You'd, you'd be happy if he was alive and they were all dead. You know, and so I think there's, there, and I've, I've seen not necessarily deaths, but where a child becomes unfaithful to the Lord and parents grieve so much over that child that uh, it's as though they're condoning what they're doing. So, good point. Red. I think one of the reasons they were um, punished so fast was pretty much because they were told not to and they didn't. They did what the Lord did not commit. Well, people do that today until they see the fire coming down on them. That's true. God does so not always down. punish sin immediately, but uh, he's a God who punishes sin. Instead of the fire coming down on them, they're going to be coming down on the fire. Yeah, perhaps. J.D.? Uh, something that kind of jumped out at me, uh, you know, when you talked about, you know, we wouldn't think, oh, you know, let's knock out 40% of the, of the priests first day of the job. You know, it made me think of Gideon and God kind of weaning down the army by more than 99% in, in Judges 7. And, you know, God knows who's not fit for the job. And if you're not fit for the job, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, they weren't paying enough attention, they had good intentions, they had bad intentions, you know, if, if you're not fit for the job, it's not God's fault, it's, it's your fault you're not fit for the job. And God's not going to allow you to to, to continue on, and God's gonna, God did just fine with three priests instead of five, and God did just fine with three hundred soldiers instead of thirty-two thousand. We are never indispensable in the cause of the Lord. He can do it without us. Man, you think that after this, any priest that thought about bringing a strange fire would think twice? I mean, I mean if you woke up one morning and said, "Man, I don't want to go through all of this," I think you'd remember this story pretty quickly. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lesson in that, too. It requires great care to deal with the things of God. Holiness is dangerous. I mean, it's kind of like electricity or, you know, nuclear power or whatever. You, you know, you, you respect the, the seriousness of that. You understand that, you know, it may serve great good, but there is great danger if it's handled improperly. And I think that lesson would come out loud and clear. I, I, I would surely think that, that it would uh, impact the priests and everybody else as well. God is showing that he does not approve of this. And it would make the people, I think, seek God's will. The lesson in this is you have to do things God's way, not your own way, the way that you desire. And I think that's a great lesson for us in our worship. We are in a culture where we are more interested in worship and doing what's going to make people happy than we are in what's going to honor and respect God's order. That's not the concern. It's not The question is not how can we get more people in or what do we like. The question is what does God approve of what will honor him, what will treat him as holy. I think those lessons we really need to listen to and think about. Ben? Someone brought up earlier the idea of how you know, 
God gave Moses and Aaron second chances. But in this instance, he sees absolutely no room for second chances. And, you know, that's a, there comes a point when we start trusting God to judgment to be able to see these things. He can see when a man will use a second chance, right? And he can see when it's not going to be any use to give him more time. And when we think about our own lives, I think about mistakes I've made, mistakes I continue to make. I realize I've got so much borrowed time that God's given me. He's given me so much. And yet I should be concerned. We should all be concerned about the idea of well, what will happen if we ever get our, ourselves to a mindset where if God gives us more chances, it just won't do any good. At that point, he'll probably stop giving us more chances. And that's really, really concerning us. What we do with, after we make mistakes, after we have another chance, we realize that. What do we choose to go forward? Can I remind you of what Jesus said? Not to fear the one who can kill the body, but the one who can condemn both body and soul to hell. And why would we fear what men can do when God can do, when he can separate us from him forever? Amen. And there are no guaranteed second chances. That's not an inalienable right. Logan? Uh, one thing that I noticed here is that uh, the even though this is back in the Old Testament, God, if he wanted to, could still kill us immediately. But the, but the reason that I think we wonder why doesn't he do that today, well, I think if he did that with everyone, we'd die off pretty quick. <laughs> yes, if, uh, if he was still killing everyone who lied, uh, this class wouldn't have a teacher. There might not be a class for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> As long as we're being honest. The problem is we haven't been honest for that long. <laughs> you look at when I look at all the denominational churches and what they're doing just to fill a building, I mean it's all about entertainment. <laughs> you got entertainment to fill a building. And the way I feel is God is more pleased with two people reading the Bible than any other million people sitting in a building supposedly worshiping Him while just being entertained. It doesn't matter about filling up a building. As long as, if your heart's not in it, it doesn't matter. If two people are sitting in just studying the Bible and their heart's in it, it matters more to God than to the building. And if you want to have a bunch of thousands of people being entertained, go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes, Caleb. I'm sure. I'm just, I don't know, it's just amazing to me that we, we see this story and, and it seems as if it really does seem that God is being impatient here with him when we think about our own lives today. And it's just amazing to me how God has been so patient to us. I mean, you think. You know, these people are, are dying for putting strange fire, uh, or offering strange fire. Well, what if, what if God struck dead everyone who fell asleep during a worship service? Or, <coughs> or who, who weren't thinking about the words and the songs that we're singing? And, you know, just our inability to worship God with reverence and with fear, ought to, this, ought, this ought to strike fear in us to really be more reverent to God in our worship. To think about who it is who we're coming for. Uh, it's just amazing the contrast that we see here from, from chapter 9 to chapter 10 
in just a few moments as these people are all shouting and falling on their faces after God just burned up this whole offering. And then in verse 3, it's silent. Uh, Aaron, Aaron's told, or Aaron is, is silent. You've got this shouting to silent, and you've got this contrast of, uh, that was already mentioned about, that mentioned so many times about the Lord, uh, just doing just what the Lord commanded to them, doing what is not commanded, uh, and, and they're struck dead immediately. Thank you. It was helpful. We need that. Right. Uh, kind of going back to a comment Alan had made about um, what we should do about when God is silent about something. See, he didn't say, um, don't get the fire from this place and this place and this place, but get it from this place. Um, I like the way that Hebrews 7.14 says, reads, um, concerning Christ being our priest, that he couldn't be the priest um, according to the, the law of Moses because he wasn't a Levite. And that verse says, For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, the tribe with which, with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. He didn't have to say, You can't come, if you want to be a priest, you can't be of Judah. He just didn't say anything. He said, Priests come from Aaron. Excellent point. If God spoke nothing about priests from Judah, that means no priests from Judah by the law. That's exactly right. Good point. And I'm impressed so much with the idea in, in 4 through 7 of, of just the whole direction of the Lord about the burial of these um, two. That uh, it's going to be two cousins, uh, Mishael and Elzaphan, who would carry their relatives away. And Moses and or Aaron and Eliezer and Ithamar would not uncover their heads, tear their clothes or go out of the tent of meeting, um, they are not to bewail the burning which the Lord has brought about. Um, even in a time of great calamity, the priest of the Lord must set an example of strict obedience to the will of God. I don't care whether his two sons had just died, he's to follow what the Lord says. Personal feelings cannot interfere with our service to God. We make too many excuses sometimes. You know, this was really difficult. This was emotional. This is hard for me. You know, after all, I just had this happen to me. What would you expect? Well, the Lord would expect us to do what he says. Josh. Um, so, two things. Um, I think it's important that we understand that I assume it didn't here. I mean, I assume the fire killed them, but didn't uh, incinerate them. I had thought about that. Uh, you know, I, I was here about a couple hours ago. I'd gotten two questions in a row that I was I had been able to answer. You know, and I was hoping for a third, and I could I could get three in a row, but third one wasn't. So. Why did you think that? Don't you think that's a stupid, well, no, that was a stupid thing to expect? 
And what kind of group do you think we are? Well, I know, I know. I was underestimating you, wasn't I? Matt. I think this uh, you know, teaches us a lesson uh, about uh, kind of how we approach sin and things like that. And we need to make sure that uh, we stand very aloof and, and are not sh coming across as if we support various things. We need to think about the friends that we spend time with and what we spend time with them. Even if we're not doing something sinful, as they are, or maybe uh, television shows, movies, just different things in our lives, we need to make sure we keep a good distance from sin and make sure we don't look like we support him anymore. Caleb. Going along with that and some of the things I said earlier, I was looking for that passage uh, in the New Testament that talked about us being priests ourselves and it just handed me a, somebody handed me a note and said, uh, speaking of 1 Peter 2.5, where Peter tells us that we are a, to be built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. And you think about that and you know it's easy to say, oh look, these are the, this is the, these are the priests of God. You know, it, it's one thing that this happens to them, but you know, surely God's not going to judge us that harshly. And yet, that is who we claim to be today, and that is who we are as His children. And we must have that same type of reverence and fear for God that He that He demanded from them. Amen. This is something I something to maybe consider that, and it goes along with us today. That maybe it's possible that their disobedience showed that they didn't really know God, and that's our problem. Surely they weren't expecting this, so at least in that way they didn't know God. It's amazing how you wouldn't have more serious carefulness to be reverent in worship after having seen all that they'd seen but I think Caleb's point was right I don't have and we really ought to be much more shaken by this and you know moved with much more fear and respect and, and seriousness about the carefulness we need to have in every way in our worship and in our service to God I think also here, um, you know, we said that personal feelings, you know, are really not relevant in this. Think about Jesus. He allowed no personal considerations of any kind to stand in the way of his work and his sacrifice. I mean, he defied every emotion and feeling and natural consideration to give himself for us in a very painful, difficult, horrible suffering. And so it, it's, not, it's not too much for God to expect we would sacrifice feelings uh, to, to do what he wants. When even the nearest relationships on earth come into conflict with our absolute submission to God's will, our natural relationships have to give way. We must do what God says. I don't care what that may mean for our relationship with our children or our parents or our brothers and sisters or our mates. God is the priority. 
And we so often seek to compromise when it comes to that. And it is amazing that the Lord would say this to Aaron and to the two remaining brothers. Uh, but the Lord was very firm on how they were to treat this. I think that's everything I wanted to say through verse 7. What else do you want to say? It took us a while, but that was a good discussion. How about 8 through 11? <clears throat> Lord, this spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the, when you come into the tent of meeting, so you may not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so I have to make a distinction between, you, between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean. And so I have to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them. Very good. So, in this passage, God is giving some specific instructions as a result of what's happened here. What's he telling them not to do? Yeah, don't drink intoxicating beverages. Um, why? So you won't die, Britt? Okay. Yeah. So you won't die. I mean, this is serious business to come before God in worship for the priest to, to, to serve in the sanctuary and you want to be as sober, as self-controlled, as in full possess, possession of your mental faculties as is possible because this is dangerous. You're not going to think clearly enough to be as careful as you need to be, Ben. Uh, for the priests today, is that this command applied to us as well? We're not to be intoxicated either. I'm not so sure whether I'd say so this command applies, but so we're, we're not, not to drink intoxicating drink at all either. I don't think we can say that from this. Uh, although drinking, drinking and becoming intoxicated is wrong. Yeah. Say. What interests me in this? I had, this doesn't really make any sense to me. Usually, like what we've been doing is we've been doing a certain, uh, this reading about a certain thing and then moving on to the next thing, it kind of connects. This, it talks about they have body die and then it jumps to don't be intoxicated. What does that, how does that link together? Well, maybe it is that they were drunk and that's why they were careless about the source of the fire. Or maybe it's just the more general thought that you must be very sober and clear thinking to be able to worship God, to come before Him as a priest and offer uh, the, the worship and the service, you know, anything that would take away from your sober, serious-mindedness would be wrong. I, I wouldn't be shocked to learn that Nadab and Abihu had been drinking. I mean, I think that's a more natural connection to me. But I don't think that's required by this. I think it could just be that leads him to something else that would keep us from being able to give our full attention to the details here. And it makes sense because, I mean, if God says we need to come into the temple with respect to him, then you wouldn't come in drunk and walking around like, and you don't know what's going on, and that wouldn't be very respectful. 
And it would be foolish. Would you allow inebriated uh, engineers in a nuclear power plant? I mean, what would you think? That, that would be not a wise move at all. I'm sure in facilities like that and in places where there is a great deal of, uh, you know, danger, there's got to be all kinds of rules about things like that. I mean, wow. We don't even, theoretically, allow inebriated individuals to drive cars. Unfortunately, we don't follow that rule very well, but for good reason. You, you, you don't have the ability to, you know, maneuver the car um, carefully when you're drunk. Um, the potential here for a meltdown is very real. And, and it could be dangerous not only for the breeze, but for others. So he says, verse 10, and so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes, to be able to make the distinctions, to be able to teach the people, they have to be sober. Being drunk is going to interfere with the function that they have. Okay. John. Um, I don't necessarily want to make this point exactly, but... The <laughs> wine, wine, make it anyway. Because everybody makes it, but wine back then wasn't exactly what we have today. So would this is this kind of like a, a really restricting thing? Like Because since wine was so common, was this that kind, like their everyday drink? And did it restrict them that much? This, this really is a big, big thing, whereas, I mean, for us, it's not that big of a deal. I'll buy that. I mean, yeah, I think they, it might remind you of the Nazarite vow, where they were not even allowed to eat grapes. Um, so yeah, I think this is pretty uh, pretty strong, and probably uh, the people as a whole would be willing to drink some wine at least, uh, you know, diluted or whatever. You, you mean pretty strong, not to drink, but the, the rule is pretty common. Yes, exactly. It, that, is, yeah, it is interesting that he says wine or strong drink, that he makes the distinction that wine wasn't a strong drink. Nothing, nothing like that. Okay. Um, another this may be off, but another thing that, uh, possibility that was thrown out in one of the classes uh, was that wine and, and drinking uh, eased the pain in mourning. And that it was often connected with mourning uh, and easing the pain of mourning as well. I don't like that as well because of 10 and 11. <laughs> <laughs> right, I got three hands. Kyle? I think we should more and more see a connection between ourselves and the I mean, I think. You know, this, along with that, although several other things we've seen, uh, can bring that out. And we look at passages that call us to be holy and to be separate. And I think this passage, along with several others, you know, we should see ourselves a lot in the shoes of the priest today. You know, the priests were to be separate. They were to be a people of God's possession, of people that belonged to Him. They were He dictated everything they did. In the same sense that today we're to be set apart and different from the world. And in the same way that this, they were to be making distinctions in specific ways here, you know, with drinking. Uh, so we are in several ways to make distinctions, and for the same reasons a lot of like, I mean, they were to be distinct and, and not to drink, you know, for teaching people and for, uh, you know, being before them in the same way that you know, we should be, we're called to be uh, holy people uh, so that others can see and glorify God because of it. I think the, maybe the more closely we can connect ourselves in our life today with what the priests were to be then, perhaps is what we gained from this book. That's good. Josh? Um, I think it's cool to see 
to hear the Lord is speaking to Aaron and not Moses. You know, we've seen in all the other chapters, you know, it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, but here, you know, God speaks to Aaron. The only time in Leviticus where the Lord spoke directly to Aaron. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I think so, but that was the Nazarite vow in number six. But yeah, they were not allowed to touch any product of the grape in number six with the Nazarite vow. Okay. Ben, John. Go ahead, Ben. Um, no, he, he says don't drink the wine here, so as to make a distinction between the holy and profane, between the And, you know, drinking will, will mess with your mind. It follows you, it makes you peace confusing. I help you bring it <laughs> you didn't really you know, need it. But. I think, though, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I think, though, about the idea of, of what follows our mind and what confuses our mind. And, and the age we live in, the way like, entertainment for once, it's just it just bombards us. And I think at times in my life where I've been more immersed in those things. Not that I don't struggle with it at times now, but still, like, times when I just I knew that those things were my focus. And in all honesty, they, they confuse your mind. You know, if you live your life all through the week, so focused on entertaining yourself with all, all the variety of things, or some business, or exciting, or fun, or funny, or, you know, suspense, or whatever, that's you live your life for all week, and you go into church on Sunday, you know, you're not going to have questions. And, you know, I've heard some, I don't want to say that you just can't ever be entertained, you know, but you know, when you live your life that way, you can't just turn that off when it comes time to worship God. But on the other side, if you live your life, constantly thinking about God and worshiping Him and studying His Word, then when you go to church, you will have the absolute fulfillment of that. And you'll never find yourself more engaged and more excited more focused on your worship than when you live your life like that from day to day. I just don't think we should underestimate the ability of ideas and, and entertainment those things to follow our minds just as much as, as alcohol or other substances. Even though we don't typically think of that, especially today when we have so many ways to do that to distract ourselves. Those distractions can make it hard for us to tell the difference between what's holy and what is unholy, what's clean. Just Amen to that. That's very helpful. So, um, I'm not thinking of a movie right now, but um, you think about a movie or something where they're hostages, and you know the guy who's keeping them is threatening to kill them, and you there's usually one person that says, you know, you won't do it, and you always think that he won't do it until he pulls the trigger. You would think that when um, the Lord says here, lest you die, that would mean a whole lot more to Aaron right now. <laughs> that he just saw his sons get burned up. And that when the Lord says, lest you die, he's going to do this. There are no idle threats with the Lord. Excellent point. We've just seen an object lesson in that. Because you're serving the idols. All right. Comments and questions further through 11. Caleb. I guess just one more thing going along with what Kyle said earlier about Leviticus. It's just, this this helps us to understand so much of what we are trying to live uh, and what is revealed to us in the New Testament. I mean, the letters that, that Peter and that Paul are writing and the, you know, the letter written in Hebrews, I mean, you can't understand that if you don't understand these things, if you don't understand these things in the Old Testament. I just think we limit ourselves so much, uh, our understanding, our knowledge of God, by uh, failing to study and to know the things that God revealed to His people in the 
more you come to appreciate what he expected of the people there, the more you can understand what he expected us to think. Excellent. Other things through 11? <laughs> Don't you wish that we could prepare well and you could be in a study uh, with a group like this of every chapter in the Bible? <laughs> wow, <laughs> it would be really uh, helpful. Um, you know, we need to thank God for that. And then we need to study everything in the Bible and seek to help others learn. And, uh, you know, there's something that I've thought about from time to time. And perhaps this would be a helpful thing to, uh, to think about for a moment. And that is that, uh, you know, I go to Brazil twice a year. And uh, I'm around people who have very little opportunity, many of about 20 minutes if we haven't finished this at any rate, but 12 to 20. Moses spoke to Aaron and to his surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. Take the grain offering that is left over from the Lord's offering by fire, and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it, moreover, in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due out of the Lord's offering by fire, for thus I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering, however, and the thigh of the offering you may eat in a clean place you and your sons and your daughters with you. For they have been given as your due, and your sons due out of the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the sons of Israel. The thigh offered by lifting up and, and the breast offered by waving, they shall bring along with the offerings by fire of the portion of fat to present as a wave offering before the Lord. So it shall be a thing perpetually due you and your sons with you just as the Lord has commanded. But Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it had been burned up. So he was angry with Aaron's surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, saying, Why did you not eat the sin offering at the holy place? For it is most holy, and he gave it to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, since its blood had not been brought inside into the sanctuary, you should certainly have eaten it in the sanctuary, just as I have commanded. But Aaron spoke to Moses, Behold, this very day they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. When things like these happened to me, if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? When Moses heard that, it seemed good in his sight. All right. Again, this is helpful because we've studied all the way to this point. Otherwise, this is kind of confusing. But Moses tells Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, to do what in 12 and 13? Eat their portion. Of the grain offering of 917, in my judgment. So they're to eat their portion of the grain offering, and then in 14 and 15, they're to do what? Eat their portion of the sin offering. No. I don't think so. Eat their portion of the wave offering of the peace offering. Remember back 
When we looked at uh, 9, uh, verse uh, um, 021, but the breast and the right thigh, Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord, just as Moses had commanded, but it didn't specifically say there what they did with it after they waved it. Well, I think these are the instructions. They're supposed to eat that. Look at the end of verse 14. This is your due and your son's due out of the sacrifice of the peace offerings of the sons of Israel. So I think they were supposed to eat their portion of the grain offering. They're instructed to eat their portion here of the peace offering. And then Moses is seeking the meat of what? The goat of the sin offering. And what does he find out? It's been burned up. Here's the $64,000 question. Not really, but if you've been following this, wonder where it was burned up at. Outside the camp, yeah. Probably not on the altar. I don't think he's saying that. But they've taken the goat outside the camp and burned it up. Now, what did Moses think about that? Pretty upset. Pretty upset. Why? He hit the roof because... The priests were supposed to eat the, the meat of that sin offering because it was a sin offering in which they had nothing to do with it. The blood was not taken into the holy place. When the blood of the sin offering wasn't taken into the holy place, then the priests were supposed to eat that offering, and they hadn't done it, and, well, it's like they hadn't learned. I mean... Here's another careless omission, in this case, from the Lord's instructions. Had they not taken a lesson from Nadab and Abihu? In this particular case, it is different from 10.3. In 10.3, what had Aaron's reaction been? Here, what is Aaron's reaction? Exactly. And what he says is, behold this very day, they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. When things like these happened to me, if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of the Lord? Because of what had happened in connection with Nadab and Abihu, Aaron believed that it would not have been right for him to have eaten the sin offering. And he, he explains that to Moses. What was Moses' response? Made sense to him. Yeah. It's remarkable that Aaron here persuades Moses that he was making the proper distinction between the holy and the profane. Look back at verse 10. I think Aaron is already serving in that function. He has properly understood that in this particular exceptional situation that he should not eat the meat of the sin offering, and Moses accepted that explanation. Well, apparently Aaron got it, but he explained it. No, why he thought that? Well, I think because of the sin that Nadab and Abihu had committed, I think there's some, something sort of defiling about that, and to have eaten the sin offering, he would have felt like would just not have been appropriate in this situation. Okay, so the sin offering had not been given properly? Well, I don't know about that, but there's been sin involved in the sanctuary. I don't know if I have a better explanation than that. Maybe somebody can come up with a good way to say that or whatever. Shane and then John. I have two questions. One is... In one part, like before, when we were talking about the wave offering, it said the wave offering. Now it's saying the heave offering. Is there a difference? No. Um, and then I was going to ask, uh, and again, I'm going to ask, what has this to do with Nadab and Abihu? 
Well, I think we're still in that eighth day. We just had a little uh, interruption because of uh, an eruption. I would say a little bit. And we're, but we're going back to the instructions as to what they were supposed to do with the with the leftovers of the sacrifice, and the priests were supposed to eat it. So I think we're just finishing up chapter nine, John. With that idea of why he didn't eat this, maybe that since the sin of Nadab and Abihu was they were priests, it would have been wrong for Aaron to eat it because it was kind of like his own sacrifice. Like the priest didn't eat part of his own sin offering because it's kind of the same thing that because they were priests, he didn't feel as if he should eat it. Maybe I don't know. So he had been offered as a, for the entire congregation. He's part of the congregation. Yes. Yes. Maybe kind of a dumb question, but uh, so Aaron persuaded Moses. Yes. Was 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 the Lord content with what he did? I say yes. Because I'm sitting here thinking, well, they just they just obeyed, and God didn't strike them dead. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, he must have been somewhere. I mean. If they had done, I mean, they had just seen their, his, he had just seen his son burned up, and yet he goes and disobeys, that wouldn't make much sense to me. That's why. He's persuaded me as well. <laughs> For whatever it's worth. James. Anyways, it wouldn't have been disobedient to another It wouldn't have been, I mean, like under normal circumstances. I disagree. I believe it was the responsibility of the priest to eat the sacrifice. I do think it may have symbolized God's acceptance of the sacrifice, and I think that's part of the prediction. <clears throat> J.D. So then was Moses at fault for getting on to Aaron about this? Or, or, was, or was he just uh, questioning the, the circumstances? I think it was a good question for him to ask, but I think Aaron had a logical explanation. So... Personally, I'm okay with both of them. Okay, so Aaron, Aaron had never been at fault, and Moses was just trying to make sure that Aaron was... I think Moses at first thought he was wrong, but I think Moses was willing to listen and accepted the explanation. Probably a good Moses challenge. I mean, sometimes we're like that. We may go to somebody and rebuke them, and then they explain their actions, and we can see that they were right, and so we say we will draw our objection. Kind of like Judges, uh, you know, Joshua 21. Or 22, Joshua 22, with the altar that was made on the Transjordanian side, the altar of witness. Some of you may know about that story. Other questions and comments? Well, we actually managed to complete a chapter in one session. We deserve a special medal of recognition here. Oh, Britain. Well, you didn't let us complete it yet. Go ahead. Um, you know how it was like a sin to, if the priest didn't eat the meat? Um, what if it was like, what if it happened to be a simple thing like eats for the hunger? Or something simple like that? Well, I suppose he needed to eat it anyway. Better fast before you offer it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. I think uh, surely we deserve a break at this point.